Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear me, Jenny Scholick, in conversation with Corda Ballet member Joshua Jack Price. This episode was recorded on Friday, April 10th, 2020, following San Francisco Ballet's shelter-in-place order and the suspension of the 2020 San Francisco Ballet season. This interview was conducted via Zoom from my home in San Francisco and from Joshua's home in Australia. Please bear with us for a couple little technical difficulties. We're all figuring out the technology. We did miss the first few minutes of this interview, but uh, you can see the whole thing on Facebook or uh, we pick up about 10 minutes in where Josh is talking about uh, his early training and his decision to become a professional dancer. Hope you enjoy, and we will continue to be recording these podcasts through the duration um, of the rest of what would have been San Francisco Ballet's season. Hope you enjoy. I, it's hard because we, we feel so detached from the world here in Australia. Like every other country is like at least a five to six hour plane trip away. So a career in ballet, especially as a male, doesn't feel like something that's even possible or like attainable. And because there's not many role models in Australia, there's not really people like, oh, well, it worked out for them. So maybe I can do it. Maybe I can work towards that. So I guess the point that I really figured out that this could be an opportunity was the Prix de Lausanne. Um, and that was a, an experience that really opened my eyes to the real world. And I realized, wow, like there's a lot of people out there and maybe I could be one of them. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, for audience members, many are probably familiar with the Prix de Lausanne, but take us back. Tell us a little bit about what that competition is um maybe how it works and what your experience was like there definitely so there's a a few rounds it's basically like the olympics of ballet that's what people like to title it there's a few competitions that arguably could be the best but you know it's one of them um and the process to get in is really intense like you have to film a full audition tape and you have to fill out a full application and there's like hundreds of people applying and they pick you only based on your DVD and they only pick 80 people. Uh, and then once you get in, you have to figure out how you can afford to even get to Lausanne, Switzerland from <laughs> Australia. And yeah, so basically the competition is like a week long workshop and you take classes and you work on your variations and you do interviews and all kinds of things. Um, and the whole time a, a panel of eight or nine judges is sitting there watching you through the whole process. And then finally you take the stage with your variation and they pick the finalists from that. And the whole time school directors and company directors, there's probably like 80 or 90 people sitting behind the judging panel, all looking and hopefully looking at you and wanting to make an offer. And that's the whole basis of the Prix de Lausanne is that exposure to so many companies and schools. I think one of the things that's so interesting about the pre versus a lot of other competitions, right, is that you really are being observed 
basically the whole time, right? Like it's all of your classes and how you work in class as well as kind of that moment on stage, right? Did Absolutely. you find that, um, was that kind of reassuring to you that school directors and company directors were gonna sort of really see how you worked or did that add a level of anxiety on top of an already kind of stressful situation? It's definitely like intimidating um, having like so many people watching for a whole entire week. But I think the best part about it is you don't feel the pressure to, it's not just one three minute piece where you've got to get everything out and like prove yourself and make it happen. And if you fall, it's all over. It's not dramatic like that. There's like a week long where they watch you do that pirouette sequence and they've seen you <laughs> have a good time and they've seen you have a bad time and they see how you work. And I think that's really important is that a director understands how you work as a student and as a professional, rather than just one variation where, you know, you might get it, you might not. And that's just reality. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, right? Like you can practice it a million times and that makes it more likely that it's going to work, but still exactly, sometimes yeah. you get on that raked stage, right? Exactly. That it's still live it's theater. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then so from the pre, um, I imagine that's how you got the invitation to come to San Francisco Ballet School. Yeah, this it was interesting because Patrick teaches the, the men's classes at Pre Lausanne. And I was taking his class and I, I really felt like a strong connection to his teaching style. And at the time I had written San Francisco Ballet down, you get like a sheet of paper to write the top three schools that you'd love to be a part of. And I had written San Francisco Ballet down. Um, and when I made it through to the finals of the competition, that means you're now eligible to speak to the three people you had put down on, on your sheet. And something happened. They didn't realize that I wrote San Francisco Ballet down. And so when it came to the meetings, I didn't have one scheduled with Petri. So I actually went up to him and asked him if I could audition for the school separately from the competition. And he like freaked out. He didn't realize I wasn't interested, that I was interested and like immediately took me back in and sat me down and we had a really nice chat. And that was really how I got the connection with Patrick was through those classes through the week. That's a great story. I'm sure he loved to kind of the initiative you took right to say yeah. that, that this was a place you wanted to definitely be, right so okay you come to san francisco what was that adjustment like where did you live how was the training different how did you kind of adjust to your new life here well at first i lived in jackson house my training year uh and that was a really cool experience just so many students from all around the world all in one building and I had, again, never really experienced that kind of exposure to different cultures. And now being like in the same house, there's all of those people who are all with the same mindset as me, wanting to become professional dancers. That was really, really exciting. Uh, but I do remember navigating the city initially was really stressful because we don't really have cities like that in Australia. Our cities are kind of low key <laughs> compared to San Francisco. So initially it was really good to have like the house as that support group where I could come back to and kind of 
you know, debrief and talk about things and hear what other people thought about their first year. And that's a really good environment in my mind. And uh, you came in as a trainee, is that mm -hmm. right? For yeah. that, yeah. And you spent one year in the trainee program or two? I spent one year, yeah. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what the trainee program is and how it, um, kind of what its purpose is and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, so the trainee program is essentially the transitional stage between being a school student and being in the company. And it's kind of that prep time to get used to learning repertoire and performing and also like learning to train on your own because in the company, it's a huge massive class. We only have an hour 15, you know, things have to keep moving. Whereas in the school, it's like very one-on-one. -on -one. You have those moments with the teacher where you can really, you know, work on your technique. So I think the trainee program is really about that transitional stage and them giving you the tools to work on your own and comprehend choreography and learn different things that maybe you're not comfortable with, but now you have to step outside of that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of leads me actually to my next question, which is what, so it was two years ago, essentially now, right, that you made the transition from the school into the company, from the trainee program into your apprentice year and now into your corps de ballet contract. And what is that transition like? Because I know it can be sort of a challenging moment when you step away from having that kind of really individualized attention that you get in the training program, which is only 12 students, right? Um, and that shift into the company. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Absolutely. Yeah. I, the apprentice program is really, it puts you in a really interesting position because you're not quite fully in the company yet, but you're not a student anymore. And so there's this expectation that yes, you're now a company member and you know, you have to find your way within the company, but at the same time, there's still this like little part of you that feels like a school student and wants that attention. Uh, so I think apprentice program is great to, again, transition from being one of 12 to one of 80. And that is mm -hmm. a huge adjustment because again, like you're going from this individualized program into you're an adult and you have to work it out and you've been given the tools. So now put them to good use, you know? So for me, the apprentice year was all about like learning to find that other part of myself and how I could be an individual within a room of 80 people doing the exact same steps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So speaking of being an individual within that group of 80, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of what did get to happen over the past, um, well, some of what did and some of what didn't get to happen over the past season. Um, before I think we'll then go to what you're up to now and maybe take some audience questions. So thinking back over this season, were there any particular highlights for you um, over the first few programs? I definitely want to say the big hunger. <laughs> I absolutely yeah, talk about that doing that ballet. <laughs> it was the first time in my life that like, 
someone had thrown me in a pink wig and tiny little shorts and said, you know, create art. And I, I absolutely thought the concept was really, really cool. And it, it broke so many boundaries that we have set for our stage, I think. And working with Trey is always a really exciting process. And I know audiences really like his work and the work that he's done previously. And I think that this was such a sidestep from the rest of the program. And I don't know, I just loved getting <laughs> to like- Yeah, so I'd, I'd love oh. to dig into that a little bit. So you're talking about Trey McIntyre's world premiere this year, The Big Hunger, yes. um, which had these pretty phenomenal costumes and sets, really sort of striking visual impact. Um, and Trey's work, his movement's so interesting. You know, it really blends ballet with contemporary dance movement and I think really clever ways um and he of course made that in the studio uh last summer so can you tell us a little bit about that process how much had you um as a professional gotten to work on a world premiere ballet um and what was it like to work with Trey in the studio right fortunately like it was obviously like my second year in the company, um, I had already been an apprentice. And in my apprentice year, I got to do uh, Liam Scarlett's Dito Ninzel, which was a world premiere. And so I kind of had had that experience of working from scratch, but at the same time, this was so different. And the concept was so much more out there that I think at, initially it was kind of finding the movement that he wanted to, to put across to the audience uh, and especially like having an all male group was a really exciting time because finding a way for us to get his message across in these outrageous costumes and sets, it, it was a really interesting process and he had a lot to say about it. And I really enjoyed kind of fine tuning and finding those little moments where us as a male core had to like really step outside of what we're used to. Yeah. And that is a, a pretty unique <clears throat> setup, right? Cause so often those kind of corps de ballet moments are a lot of women, right. Or sometimes couples, but it's not super frequent that you get to work with a core of core of men in mm -hmm. that way. No. Yeah. Um, so I also want to talk at least briefly about a ballet that we didn't really get to see you in, but casting was out. So I feel like it's fair to have the conversation, which was um, a Midsummer Night's Dream where you, I believe were supposed to do the role of bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that part? Um, which is it's uh, a role with so much humor in it, which I think is fairly unique to that ballet. So can you talk a little bit about what rehearsing that was like? Well, I, I initially, I guess in your first year of the company, you don't really expect to be able to do roles like that. So when I, when I found out I was doing it, I got so excited. And then <laughs> I found out I was gonna be working with Sarah Van Patten and that made me even more excited because she's, you know, she's been with the company for years. She's so knowledgeable. She has these beautiful blue eyes <laughs> that I'm now <laughs> going to get to look at when I'm sitting on the floor. And <laughs> um, But initially when I started learning bottom, I was like kind of thinking that it wasn't going to be a very serious part or like that it, was, it wasn't going to take a lot of work. 
boy, was I wrong. <laughs> it, it was so intricate and there was so many moments that had to be exactly right because the way that the head reads to the audience is really important because one tiny little head adjustment and the whole message can be wrong. So a huge part of that was working with the, with the massive head, but also understanding like how would a human cross donkey move across the stage? <laughs> but uh, thankfully we had like awesome ballet masters to work with. And it, it was honestly a whole lot of fun, that whole process. And it was just super unfortunate that we didn't get to our night, which actually was the show before they canceled. <laughs> I know it was right. It was Saturday. It was supposed to be the Saturday Saturday matinee. matinee. Yeah. yeah. I went back and I looked at the old dailies when I was prepping for this interview actually. And was like, Oh, it was so close. Right. Well, you were so close to getting to do that. But yeah. hopefully next year. Right. I know it's coming yeah. back. So. <laughs> yes. um, you mentioned dancing uh, with Sarah Van Patten in that role, who is, um, of course, a principal dancer with the company. Is that intimidating at all to like be paired up with a principal dancer for a part like that? Or is it something you just kind of take in stride? I, I think that it, it's not intimidating because of the way that the work environment is. I mean, like when I came into the room, it wasn't, and it never has been like, you're an apprentice and I'm a principal. I feel like in that moment when, when we're creating, when we're going through the creative process, ranking doesn't really come in, come into the room. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not, it's not a status in that moment. And I think that's something really nice about where we work is that people don't make you feel less than they actually, it, it was very inviting. Like Sarah made me feel like definitely a part of the process. And yeah, it was great to work with her. That's great. So I do have a question from the audience. So I'm going to uh, ask that one. It's always a favorite question, but any uh, dream roles or dream parts that you hope uh, to get to do once we're back in the opera house? I mean, <laughs> I always say I know this, it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, well, I always say that the roles that I'm meant to perform will come to me in my life. I, it, mm -hmm. I think that the ballet masters and the artistic staff do a great job of like matching people with the roles that they're good in or that they excel in. Um, so I think that anything that comes in a person's career is because they've earned it and that's, that's what they deserve. Uh, but definitely, I would love to do Puck one day. <laughs> um, I, didn't I could just see think you doing such that. A cool role, such a cool yeah. role. Um, but again, that's down the road and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Take it one day at a time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's get back taking on stage first. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, please, let's get us all back in that beautiful theater. <laughs> Um, speaking of one day at a time, can you tell us a bit about where in the world are you right now? I don't think you're down the street in San Francisco. So where are you? What are you up to? Right now I am on the Gold Coast, Australia. I'm in my family home where I have just finished my 14 day quarantine. Um, so you're allowed to leave the house now? No, because now <laughs> we have our own. Shelter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the distancing restrictions. Um, 
which I think for the most part, Australians are doing a really good job of. Um, I think we caught it quite early, hopefully, uh, and everyone seems to be on board with the idea. So <laughs> fingers crossed we can keep it like that. Um, but right now I'm just having my, my classes as often as I can and my little space on the floor with my pink ballet bar and <laughs> just pushing yeah, through. Did, did you already have a ballet bar or uh, did you, I feel like the uh, portable ballet bar companies are doing a really good business during <laughs> COVID-19 as everyone's trying to upgrade from a chair or a counter, but did you already right. have one or was that a emergency order? I was lucky I got, I actually have had one since I was like 10. I got it from a friend and it's kind of sat like in the garage, like never thought I would use it again. And suddenly here we are. It was the sure. best thing I probably got. <laughs> That's funny. And are you mostly, I guess, even um, when you're not quarantined, are you someone who mostly just takes ballet class? Do you do a lot of cross training? What is that? kind of look like for you to keep your body in shape yeah I, I really enjoy running it's like a really good thing for my mental health and just being outside and like in amongst greenery is something I love to do because of where I'm from so when I'm in San Francisco I definitely on those days off try and find those moments to reconnect with nature I know that sounds cheesy but <laughs> it's I think like, we're all trying to do some of that right exactly yeah. outside yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love to just go and reconnect with nature and bird watch or watch the waves crash by or whatever it is, but just something outside out of, you know, the studio and get that fresh air and sunlight and everything good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So we're kind of wrapping up just at time. I think I might have one more. I do have one more audience question. We have time for, I think, exactly one more question. Perfect. Um, we obviously had to cancel the season right kind of as Midsummer was opening, but there were a lot of ballets left that you guys did rehearse and had really ready to go. So what were some of those, some of those parts or some of those ballets that you're really sad we didn't get to see this year? I, I honestly was devastated that all of the programs got canceled because I think there was something in each of them that we were going to get to perform that we loved. Um, but one program particularly was rubies and diamonds, emeralds, the whole jewels program. Um, but specifically rubies because I was really excited to perform it. It's such a challenging piece, but mm -hmm. also such an exciting and fun piece and really showcases like, a different side of, of dances. I think you always see this beautiful, graceful, soft side, but this was like sharp and kind of cutting edge choreography. Um, so I, I yeah, was definitely upset that it, we didn't get to do rubies, but fingers crossed we get to do it in the future. Hopefully we'll see it again soon. <laughs> You've got a little bit of a soft spot for Balanchine, it sounds like. Has that always I, been yeah. true for you? <laughs> You know, I, I've got to be honest, and I talk again about exposure. I had not really seen too much Balanchine work before I came to San Francisco Ballet. Uh, and then in, in my training year, I got to perform the Stars and Stripes lead pas de deux. And I, it was such a challenge, and it was 
so many hours of hard work and the music is hard and the costume is hard to work with and everything is challenging about it but that is like what I love about it 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 doesn't just you don't just perform it and it rolls over it was like stressed out side stage before we did this and <laughs> praying to God that everything worked out but yeah it's it's exciting to watch when there's so much risk involved yeah yeah I mean there's something special about the Balanchine rep right that yeah. kind of that yeah all of it so anyway we are at time I want to uh, make sure we are signed off with time for people to uh, make their way over to the stream of anima animus but thank you so much Josh for joining us today all the way from Australia it's much earlier in the day there so thanks for getting up <laughs> and being here with all of us um, and to our audience members thank you for joining us today and we we will um, leave this interview up if you missed some of it, and we will also be re-releasing it as a podcast as we normally do with our Meet the Artist Talks. So um, thanks for your support of San Francisco Ballet, and more than ever, I hope to see you back in the Opera House soon. Thanks, Josh. And thank you, guys. Thanks for continuing to watch us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.